This is Nerve Radio. You're listening to the Ultimate Sports Podcast. Your one-stop shop for all your sporting news and discussion. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Sam Mitch, and joined by Toby Foster. And today, we welcome back Adam McGrawty. How are we doing, boys? Yeah, nice to be very, here. Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. We've got plenty of sports to talk to. Well, I say plenty, it's actually a shorter episode today, but plenty of boxing to digest. Uh, the latest news from looking back at the Lawrence O'Coley, Chris Billen-Smith, Anthony Fowler fights the week had just gone while looking forward to the big heavyweight fight in White Povetkin of a roundup of Cheltenham and the Irish dominance. Looking back at the Six Nations as we enter the final weekend, a little bit of darts news as well to chuck in there too. So, boxing, let's start with let's start with the big fight of the night just gone. Lawrence O'Coley winning the vacant WBO cruiserweight uh, belt, knocking out Christoph Glowacki in the sixth round. It was just a, it was a good general performance from the source, but we wouldn't have expected anything less or anything more, really, Adam. Yeah, ab- absolutely brilliant, as you say, Sam. It was an excellent win for him. He he won by KO in round six, and he, as you rightly say, he wins his WBO World Cruiserweight title. Now, that 16 fights it's taken him to get there is key because he has equaled Anthony Joshua's record for the fastest run to a world title. So he did it in just 16 fights, which is, uh, yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, I know we'll talk a bit later about where next for him. And there is some talk. It could be the heavyweight division, but we'll have to wait and see because straight after the fight, he's calling out uh, Maris Bradis. Now, Bradis did beat Glowacki uh, in 2019 and most recently overcame Dorticus in a cracking fight in Germany. His record is... 27 wins and just one defeat. And that one defeat came to Alexander Usyk. Now, uh, Bradis is a cruiserweight. So um, who knows? Akodi could have more fights still at, at cruiserweight. And he's certainly got his eyes on on Bradis. And yeah, that would be an absolute cracker. I think that's who uh, Lawrence, Shane McGuigan and the team, that's who they're after next. He's been warned, hasn't he? I saw um, about fighting Derek Chisora. Sorry, I've yeah, been given some advice from Derek Chisora hasn't he, um, about whether to switch into the uh, heavyweight or not. Um, I'm just looking at some of his comments and he said, uh, I saw Derek at ringside. This is Lawrence O'Coley. I saw Derek at ringside and he made me realise those guys are really big. So I need Mm. to focus on tactics a lot more. A lot of the things I've used in this division, like my size and strength, will not work for me at heavyweight. There is a lot of more learning to do and still some big fights at cruiserweight because I want to unify. So sounds like he might have a bit of unfinished business, like you say, at, at cruiserweight before he goes up to heavyweight. But just a fantastic um, win for him and, and a great story, like you say, of um, sort of, I don't want to say rags to riches, but certainly gone from you know one end of the spectrum and, and being sort of not known for his, for his boxing at, at all and unknown in the sport to... Uh, yeah, Olympic appearance and um, a world title. That story that is being banded about, you know, he, he started as a worker in McDonald's and now he's, um, I think, working at Victoria Station in the McDonald's there and, and now, obviously, uh, world cruiserweight champion. And it's, yeah, it's just an incredible story and one that you can definitely get behind. And under Shane McGuigan as well, he really is looking good. And as you rightly say, Toby, he ha- definitely has unfinished business at cruiserweight level so I'd love to see him stick around maybe unify in that division before taking a step up because uh, 
yeah, it, it can be quite dangerous making that step and, and not quite being ready, as, as as Derek Chisora was telling him after the fight. You know, those those guys are big. You know, even if you're big in the cruiserweights, there will be guys bigger, more powerful than you in the heavyweights. So sort of maybe that power that you have in the cruiserweights doesn't have as much of an effect if you step up because everyone will be on your level if that makes sense so he'll have to use his uh use his skills in a different way maybe use uh some more of his technical attributes to work out how he can uh how he can really stamp his authority on the on the heavyweight division yeah i, th- I think that story of him going from that mcdonald's work of being inspired by AJ at the 2012 Olympics. I mean, he only turned pro in 2017. You mentioned how quick he's risen up the ranks, but I think that's what makes him one of my favourite fighters at the moment. Great character off away from the uh, ring as well, but it certainly seems that plan is to unify the cruiserweight division before stepping up into the heavyweight division. I'm, I'm looking forward to him seeing him step up, but how do you think he could do? I mean, we've seen his trainer, Shane McGuigan, describe him as uh, one of the heaviest hitters he's ever trained. So do you think that'll fare well up in the next division? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell how certain fighters will uh, will make the jump. Of course, David Hay was one of the most successful to do it, but it's um, yeah, it, it's hard to tell. Obviously, he, he's looking powerful and lethal at, at cruiserweight, but if he steps up, will that have the same sort of effect? I, I really can't tell. Um, but as I say. He may have to look at different ways he can hurt heavyweight opponents. You see those fighters like Usyk coming through now. He's just made the step up from cruiserweight. Okay, he's got to beef up a bit, but he's not going to be uh, be beating people by knockouts and heavy hitting all the time. You know, maybe he's got to be a bit more technical and box his way through some of these bigger heavyweights. And, and that's what Usyk has started doing. You look at uh, that Derek Chisora fight. He probably knew he couldn't go toe to toe and get a knockout on on Derek. So. He went for the boxing display and, and points, really. So, um, so yeah, I don't know whether Lawrence would consider doing the same thing, but uh, certainly he's got a few options to really assess. I think, first of all, it's unify in the cruiserweight division. But if he was to step up to, to heavyweight, and I think that's a real ambition of his. So um, perhaps we should be saying when he steps up to heavyweight, um, you know, he, he's got a few options there of, of different skills he could utilise to really make the most of his time in that division. And and I think, yeah, he could be a real success going forward in it. Then just looking forward to the, some of the other fighters on that night, we had Chris William Smith, who obviously all big f- fans of, uh, winning, adding the WBA Continental Cruiserweight title to his Commonwealth title. And now t- uh, that was following a unanimous points victory, scoring 99-90 twice in 97-92. And when it comes to points, a fairly comfortable victory, but certainly one you that looked like it might come a bit sooner than it did, and not even go to points. Yeah, this is an uh, this is an excellent win for Chris because it was it was billed as a potential banana skin for him because his opponent Vasil Dutsar, he is a tough opponent and is is much better than his record suggests. Um, after this defeat, Dutsar's new record is nine wins, four losses and one draw. But he's never been stopped in his career and his four losses have all come via a unanimous decision. Uh, Chris did have Dutsar down twice in the fight but couldn't get him out of there in the end. But as I say, it was it's a great win for Chris um, because he can now, uh, you know, 
he's taken that step beyond Dutsar. You know, he didn't get slipped up. It, it wasn't that banana skin some thought it could be. And now he can start to look forward and, and look ahead in the cruiserweight division. There's Tommy McCarthy there, the likes of him that he can pick from. Obviously, there's Dion Juma. They had the fight all lined up for the British title and then Juma got the eye injury so there's plenty of options and perhaps the most mouth-watering one of them all is that rematch with Richard Riakpour Chris's one defeat in his pro career of course he'll want to right that wrong and um, where else to do it you know where where better to do it than a nice hot summer's day and on a potential showdown in Bournemouth in the summer yeah that's what he's been calling for us we'd certainly be happy to see that happen but Tommy McCarthy that's what Eddie Hearn wants do you think that's the the next big fight he should take or should he look towards the British title force before? Because Tommy McCarthy's European, isn't he? Yeah, I, I, I think Chris is certainly very interested in that McCarthy fight. Um, but also Juma's not a bad option either. I, I think Juma's injury was an eye injury. So that may be quite a serious one to see how that heals. So uh, in, if he has to wait around for him, I, you know, I think he'd go for McCarthy. Um but yeah, let, let's just see. But I think Chris would be very happy with that. McCarthy fight has been calling for him for a while now. Um, so yeah, I, I really would probably say he's, he's the favourite to uh, fight Chris Chris next, Tommy McCarthy. And a trio of good wins and big wins on that night for the, the Gwigans gym was Anthony Fowler demolishing Jorge Fultz here in a, in a third round Tico knockout. It's a, certainly a strong gym that they've got building up there. Yeah, I think it certainly looks like there's great harmony there with the new faces as well. Like, look, Fowler's now had uh, three fights under Shane McGuigan and he's won them all. Um, and he's looked really impressive. It's not just the fact he's got these victories, it's the way in which he's done them. You know, he's always had that potential people wanted to see, especially Eddie Hearn. You know, he says uh, Anthony Fowler works so hard, but we weren't always seeing what he could do. Um, whereas now, oh my goodness, you know, he looks more composed. He's picking his shots wisely. He just looks more measured. And it's really great to see him now unleashing that potential under Shane McGuigan. And all three of them, of course, uh, you've got Chris there winning, uh, or obviously Lawrence O'Coley with that new world title. So it really does seem like a happy camp. And um, I suppose that's what you want. The morale is high, the team spirit's there. And um, yeah, it looks like they honestly go into each camp with smiles on their faces and they really do enjoy it. There's Josh Pritchard, the uh, personal trainer guy who's in there and he seems heavily involved in it all. So, um, yeah, I think they've got a really good unit they're building up there and Shane still a young age as well. So, um, yeah, it could be really exciting to see what he's building. Yeah, and well, we'll look forward now to the boxing. We've got White Povetkin to finally happen again this weekend. It was... Originally proposed that this rematch would happen in November, but for Vetkin got coronavirus. Did he might dispute that, but whatever. We're here now. It's the Rumble on the Rock. White 27 and 2, 36 to 2, draws and one defeat for, for Vetkin. Who wins this fight, Toby? I'll start with you. Just to say, the Rumble in the Rock. Rumble where on the Rock. Is it taking, where is it taking place? Gibraltar. Gibraltar, <laughs> where did that one come? Do you know where that one came from? Yeah, I'll tell you the uh, reasoning behind that. They had a bit of a logistical nightmare because after the uh, after the defeat to Povetkin at Fight Camp, White whisked uh, White whisked himself away to uh, Portugal. Now, because of travel corridors and and bans and travelling between certain places, 
I think there was quarantine involved if White had to come and fight in London uh, for the for, for to face Povetkin because I'm sure they would have had it at Wembley Arena. But uh, yeah, with some of the restrictions involved, they couldn't get White over to London properly. So what Povetkin has had to do is uh, Povetkin has had to go from Russia to well, I presume Russia, to London, and he stayed at the Hilton at Wembley, which is where all the fighters stayed in the matchroom bubble for their Wembley Arena shows. And Povetkin's gone with everyone else on the plane today to Gibraltar. So White has had to go via London. Uh, sorry, Povetkin has had to go via London to go to Gibraltar. So it's all a bit of a logistical nightmare. But to be fair to them, they have made it work. And, and I think White made the trip uh, a couple of days ago, straight from Portugal to go uh, to Gibraltar. So he's he's there already. And um, yeah, the fight is going to be happening in, in Gibraltar. And it also means, I believe, they can have fans. So uh, yeah, going to be really interesting to see what the show's like. They're going to be any um, fans there. I uh, didn't know what the restrictions were like in um, Gibraltar, but if they are, then that will hopefully help with the uh, with the atmosphere as well. Yeah. Just looking at the odds, um, and it looks like Dillian White is the very heavy favourite to win mm. this, at one to four on um, Povetkin, eleven to four, and the draw forty to one. Um, so yeah, interesting to see the bookies, despite what happened last time out, the bookies very much in favour of Dillian White, and I think you probably have to be, don't you, on on known form, even though obviously Povetkin one last time um so i think i'd probably be backing dillian white but last time out was uh, was such a great story of, of an underdog triumphing wasn't it and uh, upsetting the odds really even though i seem to remember on this podcast we mentioned the fact that uh Povetkin had it in him to win and you know one, one punch changes everything as, as adams said uh on previous occasions so that could well happen again as far as Povetkin is concerned but i think yeah i'd have to be uh backing Dillian White for this one. Certainly, that's my prediction. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The reason why the first fight was so fantastic and such a shock was because Povetkin was basically out of there. He was he was gone. He'd been knocked down, I think it was on two occasions at least. You know, he was knocked down multiple times in the fight anyway. His corner uh, was saying at the end of that round, you need to do something. You need to show us something because we are going to pull you out of here. Um, and he came out and he did that on his last legs, which is just what made it absolutely oh incredible and shocking. So, um, yeah, that really was it for me. But if you then take all of that spectacle and shock and drama away, you think, OK, White basically had Povetkin on his last legs. He didn't capitalise on it. He was sloppy in his defence and, and look, he was susceptible to the... Um, to the brutal knockout. So you'd think White would tighten that up for the rematch. And look, as I say, if he was to get Povetkin down in the fight and Povetkin got back up, I'm pretty sure White won't leave him alone now. You know, he'll be straight on him looking to get the fight done. So uh, yeah, I think White has to be the has to be the favourite. But of course, now as we as we know and we were showed last summer, you know, anything can happen and there's always a puncher's chance with the heavyweights. But I think it's right for for Dillian White to be the heavy favourite. Do you think age can play a factor? I think Dillian White 32 and um Povetkin's 41 now. Do you think that could uh, could influence things or is it is age just a number in in heavyweight boxing hmm. i think if it was to go into the latter stages you could start to see conditioning and maybe Povetkin start to tire a little because of that age you mentioned but 
I'm not sure. I think this is such an explosive fight. I think it's going to be stopped at some stage. You know, there's going to be a knockout in there. So uh, yeah, I definitely yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I entirely agree with most of what's been said there. The only thing is, I think Povetkin is being slightly underestimated in the odds. I, I fully expect the body snatcher to come away with the win, but if he can get a big knockout in early, he could change it again like last time, and the odds don't particularly reflect that too much but either way it's going to be an interesting fight I think it's going to be closer than what people are expecting mm. and it's the the biggest thing to hit Gibraltar in years they've even marked it with a coin <laughs> yeah and and this is ridiculously huge for Dillian White I don't know if there'll be any nerves in there or anything like that will play a factor but oh this is for him a must win he has to win he's, he's been calling mm. out the big names you know if he was to win of course, we may see Joshua and Fury tied up for the next few fights, but he wants to keep at their heels, keep on that level, get the fights around them at the very least. And he won't be able to do that if, if he loses. You know, it will be like a big rebuild project if, if he even wanted to do that. So um, for White, yeah, he, he absolutely has to win if he has aspirations of competing at the, with the top heavyweights. And also just looking towards that card, the other standout fight, uh, it's Ted Cheeseman versus JJ Metcalf in the welterweight division. How do you see that one going? I think you can probably expect Cheeseman there uh, for the win. And I, I think I'm right in saying Anthony Fowler uh, was speaking about that fight, saying he'd like the winner of that one. Uh, so, it good. yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that'd be a good fight. And, you know, these are guys that I don't know if we'll get onto him, but. Lee Cutler, another local lad who was on the Matchroom show, you know, he, he's been sparring these guys. So um, that's great to see from his perspective as well. But um, I think generally, yeah, that, that is a good fight. And there's also uh, Ricky Ricky Hatton's son. I don't yeah. know if you've seen Campbell. He's on the undercard making his debut. So that should be quite a spectacle. So, yeah, it looks like there's some good fights to, to keep an eye out for. But, yeah, I would I would say Ted Cheeseman for that one. Let's, let's stick with Campbell Hatton there. Well, see, this is his second fight now, I think, isn't it? How do you think he's going to fare going forward? Because he's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders already and a lot yeah. of media attention. I think Sky had a documentary about him just because of his dad. That's that's enough to see someone crumble alone before they even made a name for themselves. Yeah, I, I think it depends on on him. You, you see people react to it in different ways. Obviously, you've got uh, Chris Eubank's son, uh, Eubank Jr. He's taken his own career on he's been somewhat inactive I think he's got a fight coming up but um yeah you know there's different ways to go about it you look at one of the most successful ones I can think of coming up uh Nigel Ben's son Connor Ben you know he did really mm. well on a recent show at Wembley Arena and he sort of was asked about all this stuff after the fight and said uh you know, he says because of his dad, he's got everything. He's got his nice car. He wakes up on silk sheets. He goes to the gym and he says he still trains harder than everyone else. So if you've got that sort of attitude about you, um, I think you can sort of detach yourself from that name and become your own your own person, your own fighter in a way. So I think it's really how he goes about his business. But I understand his dad is, is closely with him in, in his corner and helping him along the way. So maybe he'll have some words with him. So um yeah, we'll have to see. But certainly there's a lot of excitement about him. And uh, just because he's a, the son of a you know former big name, it doesn't mean Eddie and, and the team would just sign him up for no reason. So they clearly like what he's about and um, think he's got a bright future ahead of him. Absolutely. And we, we see fans might be at this fight with White and Povetkin too. There's also going to be fans we know 
at Billy Joe Saunders versus Canelo because restrictions are very different across America, particularly in Texas where this is being held. And on the first day alone, 20,000 tickets will be sold. I think we saw in the last Canelo fight, actually, that they had a decent crowd there. But it's going to be weird seeing such a big crowd while we're over here with nothing, really. Yeah, it really will seem like that. But um, as well, it will be almost like a celebration because it's on, I think, Cinco de Mayo weekend, which is the big Mexican celebration. So, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of Mexican themed things going on out there. And, and Billy Joe may feel like he's out there on a away day, you know, and he's got to really dig deep if he can get something. But no, I'm really looking forward to that one. And as I'm sure you say, the uh, the tickets did sell out quickly. Have you got the figures on those tickets? I just saw it was 20,000 in the first yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, 20,000 and it sold. they sold out pretty quickly. So um, it, that just shows the demand that there is for this fight. So clearly the people are excited and, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, actually, one thing I forgot to do for the white Povetkin fight, if we're all going white, let's pick a round. Let's see all the points <laughs> if you're going to go for that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go for a white round six. Nice mm-hmm. in the middle. Yeah. Um, I think I'll go for round eight. I'll go slightly before you, Sam. I'm going to say five. Yeah, we'll see how that fares out. But let's. we made some predictions a couple podcasts ago now about the Cheltenham Festival. Let's have, reflect on that, Toby. How, how did your predictions fare, first of all? Or previews? Uh, not, not too <laughs> well. I, I think I got a couple right. But as, as was the case last year... Um, uh, yeah, it was last year when, when we did it with uh, our friend James. It was very difficult to predict some of the runners. Um, and I think we didn't predict Tiger Roll either, did we? That was that was the uh, perhaps the story of the week for me was was Tiger Roll returning to form to win the um, the cross country and his fifth Cheltenham Festival win, which makes it perhaps even more of a shame that he's not involved in the Grand National this year. Uh, but I did, certainly didn't predict that, and he just ran them all into the ground uh, and was absolutely superb. So absolutely uh, fantastic performance. Um, did you watch the Gold Cup, Sam, in the end? Yeah, obviously I, I didn't watch it live, but I've seen it back, and it, it was something different <laughs> to usual. Well, yeah, well, it wasn't the um, album photo coronation of his, no. his third Gold Cup that we thought it might be. Uh, and a, a little bit of a surprise winner, although still from the, the front few in the market, uh, Minella Indo winning, I think, at nine to one um, uh, with Jack Kennedy on board, who's only in his early 20s, Jack Kennedy, and has had a really difficult uh, career with a lot of injuries. So he really does deserve this, um, does Jack Kennedy, and, and spoke really well after winning on, on Minella Indo. Album photo finished third in the Gold Cup. Aplutar was second under Rachel Blackmore, who was uh, crowned leading jockey of the week. She had a fantastic week's uh, racing and, and really, again, brought forward the uh, the sort of standing of, of women jockeys in the sport, although they've always competed on, on equal terms and, uh, you know, in, in recent times. And I think she has now made it clear she's the woman to beat. She's the jockey to beat in the sport at the moment. Really enjoyable uh, racing at the festival, particularly the Gold Cup, even if it wasn't the result we thought it might be. Um, and yeah, just a very enjoyable and successful festival as it was. A very successful festival for the Irish. But as you speak, I spoke about Rachel Blackmore there. She outscored 
the British with six wins to five. Overall, how many did we say it was for the Irish to the Brits in the end? I think it was 23 uh, place five in the end was the score. Now, as you mentioned, there's been plenty of speculation for why that is, but why do you think the British have been so bad at Cheltenham this year? Well, it is difficult because there's so many different root causes of this, and a lot of this starts uh, when the horses are first bred and where they're first bred, and and the tr- where the trainers opt to, uh, to sorry, where the owners opt to place them as far as training is concerned. But it just doesn't help that the the form of our three big stables um, or the three big Cheltenham trainers um, didn't really kick into into fire. Uh, Nicky Henderson had quite a few disappointments um, in his week of Cheltenham racing, particularly I think that was summed up by the Gold Cup where he had two well-fancied runners, did Nicky Henderson. That was Champ, who went off, I think, second favourite, and Santini, and both of them were pulled up after the first lap, I think, so really just didn't perform there at all. Paul Nichols um, didn't have the best week either, although I think he'll be looking towards Aintree. He had disappointment in the champion chase where the reigning champion, Politolog, was not able to run. He was pulled out at the last minute due to a uh, nosebleed and wasn't able to race. But he'll, I think, Paul Nichols has said the plan is to enter Politolog into the uh, possibly the Aintree Bowl or one of the other races at the Grand National Meeting um, to get him some racing before the end of the year. Uh, so a little bit disappointed for Paul Nichols and Colin Tizard as well in his last year as a trainer. Uh, Colin Tizard just turned 65 and he's handing his training license down to his son, Joe Tizard. Um, so this was his last chance uh, as a trainer at Cheltenham. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to uh, land any big winners either. Um, his runners didn't didn't come up trumps, although many of them did run well. So, yeah, a bit of a shame for the British trainers. But the Irish, as you say, just totally dominant. And I think the inquest will go on and on as to why um, that's the case. And I don't think I see any of this changing anytime soon. I think we're in with just this is just the start of the next few years of, of Irish domination of the sport, I should think. You mentioned about Colin Tizard moving on and moving his stable down. But that's got to be surely the case for Nicky Henderson, too, who's, who's getting on now. Yeah, Nicky Henderson at Seven Barrows, he's been around for quite a long time now. I'm not sure what the situation is regarding succession there, but Colin Tizard has said, even though he's handing down the licence to to Joe, he's actually said that not much will change day to day on the stables. I think his quote was that he's just... Uh, doesn't want to wake up every morning worrying about the horses anymore and he wants somebody else to do that part. And it was always his plan to retire at 65. But he'll still be involved in in training at the stable. Uh, and obviously him and his son will still will still be training the horses. So really, at the, uh, for the moment, the only thing that's really changed is the name above the door. Uh, but yeah, it would be good to see their stable have some big winners in the future as well because they didn't have a great Cheltenham Festival last year. It was better this year, but as you say, some of their runners um, perform well but just didn't get over the line. One trainer that did have a good Cheltenham was uh, Henry de Bromhead. His horse, Minella Time, will be uh, is going to be ridden by Rachel Blackmore in the Grand National. And since her fantastic week last week, uh, the odds on that horse have gone from 25 to 1 to 16 to 1. Do you reckon she can do it? 
Well, it would be quite a story, wouldn't it, if she could, because uh, Rachel Blackmore would then be the first woman jockey ever to win the Grand National. And we have this every year. It's surely only a matter of, sorry, when not if, I should say, uh, a woman jockey wins the Grand National. Best result so far was um, Katie Walsh, who came third in 2012 on Seabass. So that's what they've got to beat. Uh, but yeah, she's she's got a, a good ride there. I think the favourite for the Grand National at the moment is a horse called Cloth Cap, who I think is about five or six to one, and is a really really good front running horse. And I think even despite the weights, I think Cloth Cap will take some beating in this race. And actually, looking through the runners as they are at the moment, this is a Grand National where quite perhaps unusually, I think the focus is going to be on just four or five top horses that have got great chances of winning it, uh, of which Cloth Cap is one. Yeah, I mean, for me, Cheltenham, just looking back, uh, I had a good couple of first two days, got picked for four winners, actually, on the second day, and then it all kind of went downhill. Uh, I have to say, your tip would put the kettle on paid off, though, Toby. But, Adam, did you have any winners at Cheltenham? Did you put any bets on? No, I didn't. But as I told you the other day, Sam, I did see those uh, annual, you know, screenshots of people betting a couple of pounds and coming away with absolutely ridiculous amounts of money. So uh, I wonder how many goes it takes to get something like that. But yeah, it's, there, uh... there was one guy, wasn't there? Who had a five, I think he had a five-fold accumulator. Uh, he just put a couple of pounds on and four of them came in. And then he was left with an agonising choice because mm. he could either cash out for 250 grand i think it was or he could take the risk on envoy allen winning the next day uh and then he would go home with around half a million so it was a really really tense one for him and in the end he decided to take the money and cash out and it was the right decision because envoy allen fell so uh he made... yeah exactly so he, <laughs> he made the right decision didn't lose all the money but that that's the uh that's the gamble i suppose with these accumulators Talking of falling, how the mighty have fallen in rugby with England losing 32-18 in the latest round of the Six Nations games. We've got the last weekend, which I know you're happy to see come, Toby, coming up. France won their last game against Wales, which Wales could have won the Grand Slam had they uh, came away victorious there. But France won 32-30. They now have a game in hand to play against Scotland, which if they win with four-plus tries, uh, we'll see them clinch the title. So it really is going down to the wire, this. But let, let's talk about England. So we, we kind of dis- discussed that they're, they're in a bit of trouble, but in, is it down to purely an ageing squad or is there a lack of quality or perhaps leadership? There's been rumours of Eddie Jones going. Well, there's certainly question marks over Eddie Jones, isn't there? And I think he's had a big crunch meeting um, with the... English rugby union body to decide his fate and whether he'll carry on. And I think he was a little bit cagey when he was asked a question about whether he'd be carrying on. He said something like, it's for others to decide, not me. So I think it's a shame if, if that's how it's going to uh, to finish for him um, after his previous successes with England. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I put it down to just an Asian squad more than anything because Owen Farrell, for the large part, has really carried England a long way there's some good players in there perhaps there's no big standout names like there used to be that are household names like Johnny Wilkinson once was and perhaps we'll never have that again but the Six Nations as I say down to the last day I predicted Wales 
to originally win. Do you think they're still going to do it, or do you think France are going to pull out the bag with their game in hand and clinch the title? Well, they lost the chance to get the Grand Slam, didn't they? So it's um, that was and that was pretty heartbreaking for the Welsh. So it all depends on the last day, doesn't it? The last week. Uh, but I, I really don't know. I think it's completely up in the air. And Italy, who we've mentioned the whole time. In fact, we spoke about relegation and how we thought it might not be the best idea. But having seen this tournament, Italy finished with zero points, minus 184 uh, points difference. Should relegation be a thing? I certainly think so now. I'm more well, this convinced. Is the, this is in the week that England play San Marino in the football as well. So I think this is, this is a... a continuing thing isn't it you know Italy in the rugby San Marino in the football it, I mean surely the Italians can't particularly enjoy uh, competing in the Six Nations at the moment if they're just getting trounced every week um, I'm not sure maybe they'd maybe they welcome relegation I don't know okay, so we'll move on to the darts now yes just a, a brief one about um, Peter Wright uh, who has blasted his rival Michael Van Gerwen and said he won't win a darts title in 2021 uh, it was a, his continuing war of words that he has with Michael Van Gerwen, uh, who missed the latest Super Series uh, events, um, reportedly because he was on holiday. Uh, and Peter Wright said, I reckon Michael won't win a TV tournament this year. He shouldn't be on holiday now. He should be at Milton Keynes practising. He's a fantastic player. Obviously, he knows what to do, but there's too many good players around. So controversial stuff from Peter and uh, mind games, I think, once again, playing their part ahead of the Premier League uh, kicking off on April 5th. On the form we've seen so far, I'm inclined to agree with him. However, I'm, I'm not too sure I agree with the point on the break because that could be exactly what Michael Van Gogh needs to go back, recharge the battery, see his young kids come back back stronger, as Peter Crouch might say and turn around and pull out the cat out of the bag and do well for the rest of the year. But we've got to go on what we've seen so far, and I won't, I didn't see him winning anything. Do you? I agree entirely. No, I, I think uh, it was what Michael Van Gogh needed to go on holiday, but just in the form he's in, it's going to be a real challenge with so many players uh, towards the uh, lower end of the rankings, or at the lower end of the top 20, I should say, coming into form. And we'll stick with the Milton Keynes theme here and switch over from darts to snooker because, oh, I certainly made my opinions known about Milton Keynes, but a certain Ronnie O'Sullivan seems to agree. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He's, he's really um, controversially as ever. Ronnie O'Sullivan said, I'm just glad that I haven't got to come back to Milton Keynes this season. I'm done there now. I have done my time. I'm not sure I could ever come back. I did one tournament where I stayed from start to finish and it was not good for the soul. I just don't know about next season. I suppose Barry Hearn might have an idea. Maybe he has done a job lock deal and will stage snooker darts, pool, ping pong and fishing all there at once. And we said possibly... If that is the case, there could be a great idea for a round robin there with all the players taking part in each other's sports. I'd definitely pay to watch that. Yeah, I think it's more entertaining the current Premier League snooker they've got, which is certainly the, the best of three-frame scenario. We've not covered it too much. I know it's not gone too down too well in the snooker world compared to darts and other sports and even tennis that are trying to and in cricket, they're trying out these new versions of the sport to make it more appealing and entertaining. It's not worked for snooker, and certainly it's not helped playing in Milton Keynes. Uh, but that covers the sports news for now. We'll move into the segments in just a second. The Sporting Question. 
Okay, and this week, a little bit of sporting guess the year. Um, I've got one, oh, sorry, I've got two questions, but what I thought we could do is if you both guess a year and we'll see who's the closest for each one or if either of you can get it spot on. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's quite simple. Just tell us what the year is. So I'll come to Adam first for the first one. And the four clues are Sheffield United, Charlton Athletic and Watford were relegated from the Premier League. Vladimir Klitschko won the IBF World Heavyweight title by beating Chris Bird. Alan Shearer announced his retirement from football. And Michael Schumacher announced his retirement from Formula One, although he would return to the sport four years later. Over to you, Adam. First up. I'm going somewhere early 2000s. I'm going to go 2005. 2005, says Adam. How about you, Sam? I'm in the same ballpark as Adam. I think you'd be silly not to in the early 2000s. Um, I was tempted to go a little bit earlier until you said about Schumacher's first retirement. So I think I'm going to go for a year later and say 2006. And you'd be spot on, Sam. It is 2006. <laughs> well done. Oh. 2006, those things happened. And the second one, I think this one is slightly harder, but we'll see. I'll, I'll come to you first on this one, Sam. Mike Tyson is disqualified against Evander Holyfield in their WBA oh. heavyweight title fight. Tiger Woods became the first Masters winner of African-American descent. The Grand National was abandoned after two coded bomb threats causing the course to be evacuated. The race was eventually run the following Monday and won by Lord Gillean. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka was born. What was the year? Oh, oh. now the question is, can I re- recall his exact ages? So it's going to be an early 20s, you'd think, in terms of Wan-Bissaka's age. Um, I think he is... I'm thinking Juan Bissaka is 22 or 23, but that could be completely wrong. And that's what it's my answer it's is going to rely to guess, on. So I'm going to go, it's before the millennium, I think. I'm going to go for 1990. Let's just go eight, because that's my birth year. Okay. And over to you, Adam. We close again. So I was trying to go off Tyson, and then I was trying to work out Juan Bissaka's age. And I, I don't know, I had an inkling for 97, which I think is pretty safe because it means I presume I'd get anything lower as well. So, uh, oh, so you went for 98. Yeah, I'm going to stick with 90. Mm, actually, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to work off Tyson now. And it wasn't early. 90. We're all on tenterhooks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll stick with 97, actually, because I'll get it if it's early. Yeah, 97. And you're absolutely right, Adam. It's 1997, so that one finishes one all. It's a shame I haven't got a decider there, but well done, both of you, because you both both got one and the other one was within one. I thought, I have to admit, I thought, if anything, it might have been 99 because of Wan-Bissaka, but he must be a year or two older than I I, I thought. I thought he was older than that. I thought he was sort of 26, 25, but but no, he's he's still still very young. Mm. Right, anyway, we'll move into the second segment now. 
a niche sport from around the world. And this week, I take in the light of the fact that Wales could potentially win the Six Nations. I've tried to pick one from Wales, but it's a bit awkward now. France going to win it. Uh, we, we seems we've covered most of the wacky sports from Wales. It was the kind of old rugby slash football bog snorkeling they love. So I'm not too mm. sure how you get crazy you're going to rate this one, Toby. But it's man versus horse. Uh, started in 1980 in Wales after a man had a bet with someone in a pub, as all good things start in the UK. I heard of this one. I think, about yeah. how if they could race, if they could beat a horse in a race, <laughs> you now get over 600 runners versus 50 horses. And it wasn't until recently, I can't remember who, but it was a former, um, I think, London Marathon winner that was the first person to actually beat a horse. In recent years, <laughs> because the horse has to stop to drink, don't they? Uh, a horse can't drink while it's running, whereas a person can. So I think that's where the person has the advantage. Well, I'd have thought a horse would have won every time. Well, apparently they have most of the times, but not every time. Depends on the distance as well, I suppose. But yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, I have heard of that one before. I think that's the first time we've ever done, other than perhaps the uh, the infamous knob throwing. I think that's perhaps <laughs> the uh, the first niche sport that I've actually heard of before. Um, so I'm going to give that one a wackiness rating of six. To be fair, I think this is probably one of the few ones that it's pretty easy to get involved with it and, and try and probably the yeah. ones I'm most likely to try out of the, the rest <laughs> we've had and obviously I would all like to have a go at knob throwing once that's back um, and we'll go into our sporting highlight now uh, I'll let you start this week first Toby I think I've gone first a few times oh well there's there's plenty to choose from this week it's been a, a busy old week of sport, I think, uh, but I'm going to, for the second week running, go for a um, horse racing one, I think, and it's going to be Henry de Bromhead, as was mentioned, becoming the first trainer to ever win the Holy Trinity of jumps racing, the Champion Hurdle, the Gold Cup, and the Champion Chase. Uh, Adam, do you want to go next? Yeah, obviously we've got a few options in the world of boxing. Chris Billum-Smith and uh, Lawrence Acoli both picking up new straps, but I, I think I'm going to have to go with Lawrence Acoli winning that world title. Good choice. Um, I've not planned this, but I know what you're going to say, Toby. You've had a foot to me that I've had a few female athletes, but I, I'm going to stick with horse racing and go with Rachel Blackmore becoming the uh, best jockey at Cheltenham. I thought she was a class above the rest for the most part and she's huge for women's sport. But uh, I have a lot of admiration for uh, her post-race reaction because ITV certainly tried to play it up as this, you're such a good female jockey, how good it is for women's sport. And she was, no, I'm a jockey. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. And went down that route and I have a lot of admiration for her. And I think she's got a, she could do well, certainly in the Grand National. It'd be great to see. Pretty much concludes it there. We've probably ran over a little bit than what we said, but thank you very much for joining me, boys. No problem. Always a pleasure. and uh we'll see you next time thank you for tuning into this episode please follow us on any streaming services you use to listen to podcasts and follow us on social media twitter is at ultimate sport p and instagram is the ultimate sports podcast so you don't miss any future sports news or guest episodes and we'll see you next time